I'm gonna ride till I can't no more. I'm gonna take my horse through the old town road. I'm gonna ride till I can't no more. I got the horses in the back. Horse stock is attached. Head is mad at black. Got the boosters black to match. Riding on a horse. Good evening, everybody, and welcome into another live edition of Wild Sports Talk, episode number 25, if you can believe it already, folks, for this Wednesday night, October 7th, 2020, that will feature one person celebrating victory and one person celebrating defeat on this Wednesday night. But of course, folks, as always, joined by the uh, fellow correspondents, as always, along for the ride, win, lose, or draw, John Mathis, Isaiah Leung, Cal McClure, joining you from the home studio here in San Diego. Of course, John and Isaiah, good to see you fellows. Of course, Mr. Mathis, uh, good to see you again, man. Of course, I know that we had uh, a lot of great things to say on Monday in regards to, again, our uh, big-time milestone of 700 listens via the Anchor Podcast app, John. And I know that uh, Isaiah and Stephen got a little bit emotional behind the scenes as uh, we made those speeches, man. But, of course, good to see you, my friend. How are we doing tonight? Good to see you, too, Colin, and good to see you as well, Isaiah. Man, I'm fired up tonight. I have been screaming from the top of my lungs tonight. The Dodgers are playing postseason baseball. There was a scare a bit for me. Kershaw, it looked like he was, you know, about to have another meltdown. This time a little bit early, then late in the sixth inning. That These meltdowns usually occur in the seventh inning. But so far, so good. The Dodgers have been able to hold on to this. Uh, one run lead. They currently lead four to three. Um, well, what they busted the lead open, right? Should be six to three now, I believe. Yes, six to three. So they got some cushion now. Hey, let's go. You know, and and Manny Machado was doing some chirping. Hey, it's all fine and good. This series is it, intense. Uh, these guys have kind of you know fueled a rivalry with this and everything. So hey. What more can you expect from these two teams? Both teams are playing with high energy. It's just fun baseball. It's exciting. Uh, absolutely. Exciting times. And, again, seeing these two teams duke it out for the first time ever, you can believe it, in their franchise histories in the postseason. And, of course, as mentioned, uh, John will be the one celebrating victory. I'll be the one celebrating defeat if, in fact, those results hold up. But that was kind of expected. And also, folks, Isaiah Leon likes to be outdone from the Garage Studio in Fremont, California. Isaiah uh, good to see you, man. After, of course, the A's were able to hang on to beat Oakland today and uh, fight for one more day. How are we doing tonight, man? Good to see you. I'm doing great, Cal and John. It's great to see you guys. I want to, first of all, apologize to the audience for, you know, coming on the show and just eating some food right off the bat. I'm sorry about that. I mean, that's my dinner, so I apologize to you guys right there. But... <laughs> But, um, you know, Callan, Jonathan, uh, man, I feel, I'm feel i feeling hella good, man. The A's, what a game, man. They, they, literally near, they literally nearly put me into a heart attack, and which would have made me not being able to do the show today. I mean, this game, from going from The Walking Dead to Chad Pender lifting us off the mat with a huge three-run homer and just – a miracle happened down in Los Angeles, and we somehow, somewhere, I don't know how, we beat the Astros to stave off elimination and to live to see another day. Just an amazing day, man. Uh, you guys, As you guys can kind of hear, my voice is kind of uh, 
not good right now because I spent the whole day just like John yelling at the TV because my A's put up this improbable, amazing comeback win. And of course, folks, as usual, again, the Padres trying their best to at least hold off, uh, at least getting down two, uh, two games to none. But as of right now, things looking bleak for the Friars. However, though, they did, they'll have once again back-to-back -back homers uh, hit by Manny Machado and Eric Hosmer to get back in this ballgame. I believe it's also a major league record for a number of times of teammates hitting back-to-back -back homers in the postseason. But as usual, folks, we'll take your input live on the air. Of course, those comments, questions, comments, concerns, hot takes, cold takes, loony takes, off-the-wall takes. Uh, much like I did via YouTube with Manny Machado's words of LFG. If you know what that means, you can say it in your head, but don't say it live on the air. But we'll take your uh, take your thoughts, though, folks, across the sports world live for the duration of our program here tonight. Uh, with that, John, of course, the big story, though, in this Padre Dodgers series, though, was, of course, the uh, very uh, troubling news again for the already taxed and shorthanded Padre rotation with the injuries to Mike, uh, the uh, injury again to right-hand pitcher Mike Clevenger again suffered after 24 pitches and also citing a very long second inning of waiting uh, that, again, he's been uh, bothered by this right elbow impingement. Uh, and, Johnny, you know, I said in the in our group chat last night, man, watching Clevenger's post-game press conference broke me, man, because this guy has tried to come back after, again, carrying some baggage from Cleveland. Of course, the COVID issues that him and Zach Plesak were a part of. Came to San Diego, looked very well in, in many of his starts, though, but, again, has this, you know, very weird nagging elbow problem. Threw a bullpen before the wild card series, chose not to pitch or was held off the roster. Felt good enough to throw again after two great bullpen sessions before the first game against L.A. Got through the first inning, but again, a very long delay in between him getting back out on the mound uh, after a very long Padres second inning on offense. Threw two pitches and also the Padres noted that there was a very substantial drop in velocity. And we have talked about this, John and Isaiah, mainly with Shohei Otani having issues with velocity coming off of an elbow injury. And sadly, though, uh, John, that's the undoing card for the Padres, which I think is probably going to lead to a three-game sweep at the hands of the Dodgers because the Padre pitching is so taxed and so fatigued uh, because of the injuries to both Clevenger and to Nelson Lamette. So, John, I, I know, man, that, of course, the Dodgers are going to eventually win the series or win the game tonight. But obviously, though, John, I do think, though, that even if you're not even a Padre fan, you would have loved to have seen this ball club come into the playoffs even in this round against L.A., at full speed and full strength, of course, because Clevenger versus Kershaw or even Bueller was, you know, a very great matchup yesterday. Then he could have perhaps seen Lament and Kershaw round three again. We know, of course, that there's been some spiciness. But, man, I do think, though, that this is that last night's game, though, for the Padres, sadly, is the is their undoing uh, more so than anything else in this series. But, John, overall thoughts, though, on Mike Clevenger's injury and also uh, your reaction to his postgame comments where he said he's going to try to fight through it but at the same time, though, John. Very broken, very emotional seeing how this guy was talking to the media postgame on Tuesday night. The hardest thing for any player to do when they are suffering from an injury and when they are sidelined because of an injury is to watch. Um, you want to be out there to, you know, give it your all and help your team in a time like this. The Padres starting rotation is very thin without Mike Clevenger. Mike Clevenger uh, was huge for them when they picked him up in the trade, and they brought him to San Diego to help provide some stability to that starting rotation, in which he did, but this nagging elbow injury has sidelined him. Um, he hasn't really seen much, much action. He tried to give it a go in game one. Uh, couldn't last longer than two innings. Um, 
you know, it's just a significant blow for the Padres. And, you know, there's no telling how the game could have played out last night in game one had he stayed in the game. Um, the, the, the ball game could have been totally different. Um, there's a chance that the Padres could be up one nothing. Had Mike Clevenger stayed in, had Mike Clevenger stayed in the game and not left early, um, he's a huge part of their starting rotation, and it just sucks to see uh, him not a part of their starting rotation. And then you add the fact that Lamette is out of the starting rotation. This is troublesome for the San Diego Padres. And without those two guys, I don't think you really have much of a chance because you never know what you're going to get from Paddock. Um, Chris Paddock, who has been very inconsistent, um, you know, towards the late part of the season. And you haven't really seen that same Chris Paddock that you've seen, that you saw earlier in the season. So, I mean, um, Clevenger absence uh, is not a good sign for the San Diego Padres. Isaiah, I can speak to that, as John mentioned, in regards to the injury suffered uh, by Mike Clevenger, more so of being in that spot, though, where you've had injuries and you're able to, you know, maybe get back to partial strength or full strength or stuff like that. But Isaiah, as soon as Clevenger came out of the game, I just had a very bad turn in my stomach. I know I've been, you know, battling. I said earlier this morning, but I've been battling a bit of a stomach ailment for the past couple of days. Uh, you know, but regardless of that, though, is that as soon as I saw Clevenger leave, I thought that this game was going to be in, in favor of the Dodgers, as is the series now with them, probably in a way getting away two games to none lead very shortly, as in fact the Padres and Dodgers play on from Globe Life Field in Arlington. But Isaiah, you know, for the Padres at least, though, you're looking at probably Paddock in game three, probably not the best guy to probably go out with if, in fact, that your season is going to be, you know, on the brink of elimination tomorrow on Thursday. But Isaiah, Morrison, man, I thought that Clevenger, though, looked good in that first inning. But as soon as you probably saw the first two pitches in the second inning, and you probably also may have saw some of the Twitter uh, Twitter talk, and I had seen a graphic put out by a writer, I think, that had shown that Clevenger's uh, velocity had dropped substantially from inning one to inning two, because again, I mean, it could be an excuse though, but more so, again, that very long Padre second where they had the bases loaded one out and couldn't score because of back-to-back -back strikeouts to end the inning, that can take a toll on a pitcher when you sit around for a long time and the blood is probably not flowing as much as you probably would like to, and then you see the velocity drop, very concerning as again, like we both, have, we all have said, Isaiah, both you, me, and John, we'd already said though that we saw this er uh, earlier with Otani having his own problems with his velocity dropping, so Isaiah, uh, what do you make about the Clevenger injury? And more than likely, this probably, in my mind, ends the Padres season. Uh, again, I'm saying that because I, you know, not saying that in general, but just, you know, logistically looking at everything here with them being down, more likely down two games to none, all but over in my mind. But Isaiah, your thoughts, though, more so on Clevenger's injury. What am I do, though, for the Padres in the future uh, as we, as they perhaps embark on a uh, early uh, offseason start come uh, Thursday evening? Callan, I'm actually kind of optimistic, you know, uh, because the as I've told you, I think in the group chats in the past, I think the A's and the Padres are kind of on the same course where like they like they just follow the same course in the postseason. I mean, you've seen it before where uh, they lost both of those teams lost their first postseason game and then uh, they both come back, battle back and win the next two uh, in very excruciating fashion. 
And then uh, in this series, they're both playing division rivals. And then they most likely are going to go down 2-0. And the A's today won game three. So, I mean, I just think the Padres, I'm kind of optimistic. I'm hoping that the Padres do, in fact, come back and win it. But, you know, I feel like the fans got the short end of the stick in this series. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, because, you know, coming into this series, it was billed as the battle for Southern California. You got this mighty Dodgers team led by great pitching with Kershaw and Walker Bueller and a great lineup with Bellinger and Mookie Betts, Justin Turner, Max Muncie, to name a few. And then you have this Padres team that is young, up and coming, that is ready to go and dethrone the Los Angeles Dodgers that is led by Mike Clevenger, Denelson Lamette uh, at the pitching staff. And then... Uh, they have a great lineup with Tatis, Hosmer, Will Myers, Manny Machado, and then the bullpen with Rosenthal, Pomeranz, uh, to name a few. So this was a like billed as a very good series, but unfortunately, the Padres' top two pitchers have been injured and unavailable to perform in this series, and it's a huge blow to them because you know we could have seen, like you said, we could have seen. Uh, Clevenger against uh, Walker Bueller. That would have been a great pitching matchup. We could have seen Denelson Lamette against Clayton Kershaw. Another great pitching matchup. And I think with those two guys healthy, if those two guys were healthy, I honestly think the Padres would have at least taken one of the first two games in the series. But now you're most likely going to go down 2-0, and that's a huge hole to climb against a Dodgers team that is stacked uh, all the way around on their ball club. So it's a significant blow. I feel really bad for the Padres, and I feel really bad for baseball fans everywhere. This should have been a five-game series, but it's most likely going to end up in either a three-game sweep or a four-game uh, win for the Dodgers. And also, guys, keep this in mind. Here's an interesting fact for you. Guys, the Dodgers have not lost three straight games this Correct. season. That much is true for sure. And John, we'll go back to you, man, because, you know, I, I know that a lot of people have kind of in a way built this, you know, kind of already built this as a rivalry. And I think that more so I don't look at it that way yet because it's much like Lakers Clippers where you have one team that's very good, one team that's been dreadful for the past several years. But it's a good starting point, I think, or a or a way to lay foundation with how you've seen the spiciness and the intensity with both these ball clubs. Of course, Dave Roberts, San Diego native, his pitching coach, Mark Pryor, San Diego native, and both those guys probably having some history or having ties to the Padres in some capacity. Of course, the star talent uh, on both rosters between the Dodgers and Padres. John, I think that the, I think the last time that I can recall in my lifetime where we had a probably an actual Padre-Dodger rivalry, I would say it was 1996 and 1998, both times where the Padres and Dodgers were one and two in the uh, divisional race between uh, for first place in the NL West division. Uh, but John, do you think though that with these teams having, you know, 10 great games throughout the regular season and having now some postseason history, is this in your mind a great starting point or a great foundation layer for us to be probably one of the best baseball rivalries of the next over the next decade or next several years in your mind and why? There are two Southern California teams. Both play in Southern California. Uh, both of these teams have tremendous star power. Um, you know, you have Manny Machado and you have Fernando Tatis over here. And then on, 
on the other side of Southern California, you have Mookie Betts and, and Cody Bellinger. I think they're on to a great start here. I think this has field a rivalry. And these guys, to me, they were already rivals because they play in the same division. So, you know, when you play in the same division and you see that team more than any other team, uh, I mean, these guys face each other 19 times a year. Um, that's a lot of times to face the same team over and over again. You learn each team well. Uh, you you know what the teams are capable of doing when you play each other. So I think there is a rivalry here. You see these guys going back and forth. Um, there's been a few heated altercations. Now, there hasn't been any benching clip bench clearing brawls we haven't gotten to that point yet like we saw against the astros correct but manny machado was doing some talking tonight he was chirping and the dugout the dodgers dugout was tunning the san diego padres as we saw tonight i saw mookie betts waving bye-bye to somebody and then you see uh justin turner and you usually don't see Justin Turner tunning, but even he was getting involved in it all. Um, you know, that that's just the intensity of the playoffs. You know, the, your emotions are running high. Um, you know, you you're you're playing at such a high level. And, you know, that's what the postseason does for you. You know, both of these teams want to win. Um, but I don't think they're at the point where they hate each other i think it's just you know um a typical rivalry that hasn't really spilled bad blood just yet if anyone out there is making plans for 2021 the padres and daughters face off seven times in the first month of the 2021 season three in san diego four in los angeles if my if my memory serves me correct to start next season but isaiah I think that John's on to a great point, though, and I think that we both are, and I think you probably would agree, though. This is a good starting point for a rivalry to actually start developing between San Diego and L.A. Yes, there's a big-time city rivalry between San Diego and Los Angeles, but more so, I, I, I compare it right now to Lakers-Clippers because of the success of the Dodgers and the utter failure of the Padres for many years. But again, now that you have star-driven talent on both these rosters, you've got, as mentioned, uh, some history now between – you know, uh, with Dave Roberts and his personal history with the Padres uh, as both the player with San Diego now as the manager and, of course, having his runner in a couple times. Uh, a couple of brawls, but again, that's all. that was all many years ago when the Padres were still very much out of things. But Isaiah, do you think, though, that now that, that these two teams who have played each other 10 times this year, all pretty much close games, yes, a couple of your, you know, occasional blowouts every so often, and now with postseason history now, is this developing in your mind into probably one of the uh, best baseball rivalries to come uh, into the future in your mind, or what do you think about it and why? Yeah, I mean, I completely agree with you and John. I think that this is a fantastic starting point for a rivalry between these two. Uh, I agree with you guys that I think this is also like uh, Lakers and Clippers, and it's good because, you know, the Dodgers have been running Southern California for many years now. There's been no uh, team in Southern California that can challenge the Los Angeles Dodgers. So I think this is a good thing. I think it's a good thing that uh, the Dodgers finally have someone that can challenge them in their own region. And I, I'm looking forward to seeing these two teams play for many years to come. 
couple of thoughts real quick, guys, from Dr. Ted Vicky from Point Loma Nazarene University. He's asking, uh, fellas, how can you say the Padres are like the A's in the postseason? The Padres have not been there since 2006. And also, do we forget that the Angels are in Southern California? That would make three teams. Uh, Ted, I get the point, though. The only problem, though, is the Padres and Angels only play each other once every three years. And there's not much history between those two ball clubs, more so than Dodgers, Angels. Isaiah wants to make a point. What do you got for us, bud? All right. I just want to say when I co I'm comparing the A's and the Padres, I'm not comparing their history in terms like the history of their ball clubs. I'm comparing in terms of this season. They both hit love to hit grand slams. They both have great pitching staff. They both have young talent on their roster. And also, if you look at their pl uh, the playoff tr track record from this year, they both have played each game. Similarly, you know, the A's and Padres both lost their first two games in heartbreaking fashion. And then they, uh, not the first two games, the first game of their wild card series in heartbreaking fashion. And then they both lose. Uh, uh, they both come back and win the next two in excruciating fashion. And then after that, they both go down 2-0 in their division series against their heated rivals, the A's happen to come back from the dead and win game three. We'll see how the Padres go uh, in game three tomorrow. But also in terms of the Angels, man, um, I hate to, you know, be mean, but it just shows you how irrelevant the Angels are. No, definitely for sure. And, and here they have probably the and arguably the best player in the game in Mike Trout, and yet they're right now third behind the Dodgers and Padres right now in popularity for the season. Uh, John, I, I did want to bring up one more quick point before we in fact move on to our next baseball talking point. Again, folks, we have uh, recaps pretty much of all of the series coming up here in mo uh, momentarily. But, John, you know, I, I was scrolling through Twitter last night, bud, and I saw a very interesting tweet directed towards Padre fans last night, and I read it and read some of the responses. And the tweet read, John, if you're a Padres fan and say that the Padres lose in the first round or lose in this round of the playoffs – would you still call it, in your mind, a successful season? And I said this morning, absolutely I would because this ball club did something that is not – they did two major feats for this organization that has not been done in a long time. Clinch a playoff spot and win a playoff series. And, oh, by the way, they beat St. Louis to do so. And, John, I know that, of course, people will look at, you know, uh, the Padres season, they'll look at the Dodgers season, the A season, like, well, it's only 60 games and so on and so forth. But, John, as a Padre fan and someone who's been waiting for this organization to maybe hopefully turn that corner and get back on track, I'm calling this year a huge success. And I, I saw some people saying, you know, next year World Series are bust. I'm, I, I said, pump the brakes. Let's not get that far ahead of ourselves. One step at a time here because we're seeing what promises to be a pretty good, hopefully, good run here in San Diego. But, John, uh, if you were to respond to that tweet again, if you were to call this Padres season or, you know, John, if you were, in fact, a Padres fan – or at least even viewing from the outside looking in, seeing this ball club with what they have done this year, comeback wins, you know, the grand slams and all that great stuff. Would you even, would you even as an outsider call this Padre season a success for this organization who's been trying to turn the corner for a long time in your mind? Absolutely. This season was considered a, a success for the Padres. Um, you know what? This was a huge turnaround for them this year. Um, they, clinched a playoff berth. Um, you know, they managed to get out of the wild card series. And for those who say, well, they did it in a abbreviated season, it was only 60 games that they played. Well, I have a message for those people out there. You can only play what's given to you. So if it was 60 games on the schedule, you can only play 60 games. 
if there was 162 games on the schedule, then you play those 162 games. So the Padres only played what was given to them. And they won enough games to qualify for the playoffs. So I think they deserve applause. I think they uh, deserve a lot of credit. This team is fun to watch. They have brought excitement back to the game of baseball, by the way. Um, they have young, exuberant players. Um, these guys are rising stars. They have rose to the occasion. They have embraced the moment and the opportunity that has presented itself. And you know what? The Padres are going to be around for a very long time. If you keep this young core together, they are going to make a lot of noise in the NL West. So you know what? It's been an amazing year for them. And I think you have to trust the process. Don't get too far ahead of yourself. I think these these are fans who have, you know, suffered for so long. Um, it's a fan base that has been tortured for so long that they expect things to happen so fast. And it's not going to be like that. It's going to take some time. The Dodgers are still, you know, the top dogs in the NL West. Don't forget that. They are still the top dogs until they are beating, until somebody beats them. Um, so, you know, um, you can't get too far ahead of yourselves, but what the Padres have going on here is simply amazing, and they are absolutely fun to watch. You know, Isaiah, I, I, I told that to my dad this evening. You know, my dad's been coaching ball for over 30 years. He's been a Padre fan his whole life, uh, you know, since, since the club pretty much came into existence back in 69, even back in the PCL days for a bit. And I even asked him, you know, I said, you know, I read this tweet, you know, uh, someone was asking Padre fans, you know, even, even if they were to lose in this round, would you consider Bashir a success? And he's like, oh, absolutely I would. And I, and again, Isaiah, I go back to that reason though, because there was so much optimism this year around this ball club. You know, the uniform changes, the colors going back to brown and gold for one thing back in November of last year. Then you see the pieces being aligned, though. And in a way, though, the Padres in a 60-game season kind of giving you maybe a glimpse of their future, uh, maybe for the upcoming next several years. And I think John's on to a very great point. Even as an outsider, he's like, yes, this is absolutely a success. So, Isaiah, do you agree, though, that even with the Padres – in a 60-game season and what they've shown this year. Do you agree, though, that this perhaps is a successful season that Padre fans should be proud of going into the next several years? 1,000%. And all those people that don't think that this is a successful season for the Padres, I mean, they, they don't know sports. They don't know baseball. They need to get drug tested immediately because what are you talking about if this is not a successful season for the Padres? The Padres last season did not make the playoffs. In fact, they haven't made the playoffs in 14 years. And like you mentioned, Callan, this ball club did something that no other Padre team has done in 14 years, and that was make the playoffs. And also they did something that not a lot of Padres teams have done in a long time, and that is win a series and also beat St. Louis. So, of course, this is a major successful season for the San Diego Padres. I think that uh, Jace Tingler definitely deserves a lot of consideration for uh, manager of the year. He might be the front runner, but this is a great year for the Padres, and they're going to continue to get even better, which is the scary part of it. So 
I, I expect a lot of success from the Padres moving forward. Guys, a simple thumbs up or thumbs down. Jace Tingler for manager of the year in the National League. Isaiah, are you are, are you gonna are you considering uh, uh, Don Mattingly with Miami? Yeah, I was giving some made a lot of thought to Don Mattingly simply because you know the Marlins last year lost 105 games, and this year I know it's a truncated 60 game season, but from a 105 lost team to all the COVID stuff that happened with the outbreaks to leading that team filled with a bunch of no-namers to the playoffs is really, really impressive. So I could see why they would give it to Mattingly. John, your thoughts about Don Mattingly maybe getting a manager of the year? Yeah, also he's done it with less talent. Um, Agreed. He has a, a bunch of players who have potential to be great in this league, but they're not like big-name superstars. So it's amazing what he's been able to do with less talent. So yes, one can make the argument that he deserves to be manager of the year. Fair observations, fellas. Couple of thoughts from Christy Wilson. And before we go, before we move on, I just want to say that every time Kenley Jensen pitches in the ninth inning now, I get incredibly nervous with this guy. <laughs> you know, it's gotten to He's the blowing point it right now. He's blowing it right I, now. I know, and it's gotten to the point to where I just don't trust him anymore. I mean, the guy is washed up now. You know, he's not the 2017 Kenley Jensen. I think most people realize that, but I think there's a few people in that Dodger organization that still believes in him, that has a lot of faith in him, and I just don't anymore. Dave Roberts needs to consider things and he needs to reevaluate his bullpen because Jensen, this is terrifying in the postseason. This is not the time to blow saves. I'm, I'm sorry. And every time he steps into the game, every time he emerges from the gates and, and storms to the field, I have to hit the pan, panic, panic button now. I, I just can't sit through it anymore. It, it's hard for me to watch it. And I can see it through the camera right here as I as I'm looking at you guys, and it's just it's not a pretty sight at all. Yeah, and it's worse, and it's magnified too when it's in the postseason. John, totally, totally, totally understand where you're coming from. Uh, Christy Wilson uh, wrote in, guys, real quick. The Padres did the best that they could with everything that's been going on, and would definitely consider this a successful season for San Diego. And she agrees about Jace Tingler winning manager of the year. Isaiah wants to make one more point for you. In fact, move on to more baseball. What do you got for us, bud? Yeah, I got a game break. Uh, the Padres have scored a run in the ninth inning against Kenley Jansen. It is, it is now six to four with one out in the top of the ninth. And the Padres have the, uh, like they have a runner at second and they have the tying run coming to the plate. So Fact we'll see check. how that. It's two outs now. They just, they just, uh, uh, Austin Barnes just made a catch in foul territory. It was a pop. And it'll be up to Trent Grisham to try to keep this rally going for San Diego. And uh, we'll say, though, the Padres uh, not going down without a fight. That's definitely for sure. That's been a, also a different culture change in San Diego, too, is uh, not giving up or going down. Definitely going down swinging for sure, all those uh, swinging friars from San Diego, California. Uh, Isaiah, we'll go to, you now, uh, go to you now, man, for our next series. A's and Astros, buddy, as mentioned. Of course, the Astros. It's been home run derby in downtown L.A. over the past several days. I mean, 
I have not seen, I don't think, I don't think I've seen that many homers hit at Dodger Stadium over the past uh, my time watching baseball, but it's been a very fun series. But the A's win today to stave off eliminate, uh, elimination for at least one more day after, again, another big-time home run fest. But Isaiah, this man has been a very, you know, I know, of course, about Padres Dodgers, but, man, this series has been very, very weird. It's been one team goes in front, someone ties. It's, it's a very great classic punch-counterpunch type of series so far between the Astros and the A's. Isaiah, give us your thoughts on this game. Again, the A's win, and more so, man, five-plus homers hit by the swing and ace today from Chavez Ravine. Cal and John, before I get into this series, I just got to say, man, I would not be opposed if Major League Baseball made the bubbles permanent. I would not be opposed one bit to having – uh, a series in Los Angeles, a Dodger Stadium, and also Petco Park. Because have you guys been seeing the last of the games that have been going on in the AL at Petco and Dodger Stadium? I mean, the ball's flying everywhere. I mean, you're getting games that are like 11 to 9 or uh, like in the A's case, 9 to 7. It's high-scoring games. It is so much fun to watch. So I'm definitely loving it. But – in terms of this game, man, I got to give the A's a lot of credit for this because the A's were up 5-2 to two, heading into the bottom of the fifth inning. Jesus Lazardo, the A's rookie phenom, comes in and he cannot get a shutdown inning. And instead, the Astros score five runs in that fifth inning and you know, me and all the other A's fans out there, we were like, oh, gosh, you know, we're doomed. We're not going to come back because uh, our offense just hasn't been doing anything lately. It's been home run or bust for our offense. So we thought that for sure, 100% that our team was done. Uh, in fact, I turned off the TV, like, literally right after that uh, bottom of the fifth ended because I was like, oh, yeah, the A's are done. See you in 2021. I think I even told Callen that. But – the A's, man, Ramon Laureano, this guy riles up the team prior to the top of the seventh inning and tells the guys, you know, he gives a great dugout speech like Hunter Pence did back in 2012. And he says, you know, we're not this is this cannot be the end. This cannot be the end for us. We've got so much talent. Uh, we got to play harder, man play for each other and stuff like that. And the A's come out in the top of the seventh inning and they just get on fire. And Chad Pender with the three-run homer, the three-run shot heard around the world that lifts the A's off the mat and gives them a improbable come-from-behind victory. After Pinder hits the home run in the eighth, the A's got a, a double by Loriano and a, and a single by Simeon. So they had runners at second and third. And normally this team, the problem with this team was they couldn't get through the little things right. They couldn't you know, get runners home from third with less than two outs. They couldn't get runners over from second to third with less than two outs, and they did that uh, today. Uh, they got a sacrifice fly from Sean Murphy. Uh, on that uh, sacrifice fly, he moves the runners from second to third, and then I think Tommy LaStella comes out, and he gets a, another sacrifice fly. So it just shows you, man, small ball really works in the playoffs. You don't have to – uh, you know, always go for the home run ball. But Chad Pinder with the like the home run of like the biggest home run of the last 10 years for the A's to really help uh, save us. And you know what? 
I'm not trying to get too cocky, but this could honestly end up being like what happened in the 2012 Giants-Reds NODS series when Cincinnati went up 2-0, Hunter Pence gives a speech, and the Giants, they get a lucky break in game three, somehow, come some way, come back and win that game, and then the rest is history with the Giants winning. So I, I honestly could see the same comparison of this to 2020, uh, 2012. John, hey, apparently, John, 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 it looks as if that the judging by your reaction, Jansen has been pulled in favor of Joe Kelly per AJ Caswell, the Padres beat writer for MLB.com. And Johnny, no, what was very interesting for me before we in fact get back on track, bud, is uh, watching a telecast on FS1 last night. Apparently, Dave Roberts came out and told the uh, told the media that Kenley was not going to be utilized in the ninth inning at all in the series, or he was going to be a guy that was going to be worked around or moved around. But John. I don't know if LA can afford to keep this going after this game and how he performed this evening. There's no way that they can keep him going. Go for it. Thank you. This is inexcusable. This is unacceptable. You are a professional. Pitch like a damn professional that you are. You are assigned to pitch the ninth inning and close the game out. Kelly Justin, you have one job. One job, and that is to get Three outs in the ninth inning, and you can't even get those three outs. It's ridiculous. I'm I'm tired of him. He is trash, okay? He is trash. He's done. And I hate to sound harsh. I, you know, I don't want to let my emotions get the best of me, but you know what? I'm tired of it. I'm exhausted. You know, he could have went out in, in our garbage this morning. You know, Wednesdays here – on our street, in our neighborhood, it's trash day. And he could have went out with the trash because he is garbage. And this is this is, this is is just all bad. The Dodgers can't afford to keep handing him the ball in the ninth inning because he is not performing like he used to. And he is not that effective arm anymore. I don't know what it is with Kenley Jensen, but Kenley Jensen is not a lights-out closer anymore. You know, understand that. You know, when are when are the Dodgers gonna come to the realization that he is not that guy anymore? He's just not that guy anymore. Now this game should have ended, you know, um, sooner than this. This game should this game should have been over by now. There's no way that the Padres should be one run behind the Dodgers. Just no way. Just no way at all. No way. Unacceptable. This is you know. This makes me so mad as a fan and, and even as a writer. I cringe. I cringe every time this guy comes to the mound now because he just doesn't have his stuff anymore. He's not that same electric closer that he once was. You know, and when I bring my child into the world, my, my baby who's going to be born in January, I'm going to have plenty of diapers to wrap his trash in and throw it out because he pitches like like poop now it's 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 just hard to watch it's so painful it's unbearable christy oh. i agree if you get john fired up man it's it's worthwhile and that's why john is a part of the team and uh, uh john we'll let you re regroup for a sec bud and we'll get your thoughts now on the uh a's and astro series up in los angeles john and you know, man, like I've said, though, I don't know if I've seen uh, Mr. Mathis as many home runs hit 
at one ballpark in a postseason series other than Los Angeles. And, you know, I think, though, John, that you would agree, though, as Isaiah said, though, and, and, and uh, also as I said, this has been a very big-time punch-counterpunch series. And, like, no lead has been safe for either ball club in any of these games over the past uh, several games so far between Houston and, and uh, Oakland. Uh, John, give us your thoughts about how, in fact, this uh, this game more so for Oakland played out more so than the first two as they now look to stave off elimination for the uh, second straight day. Well, you know, the A's, they took an early lead with four solo blasters. You know, you had Tommy uh, LaStella getting going early. Um, you know, he provided them with the one nothing lead in the first inning. Um, then the Astros, they responded quickly. Um you know, they claimed the lead in the following inning. Um, Jose Atuve hit a solo home run. Um, he got going. And, you know, um, it was just an amazing game. I, I, honestly, I honestly thought, yes, spectacular is the word. But, you know, I really thought that the Oakland A's were going to lose the game because I was watching the game. Then I had to run some errands. And I – Ended up, you know, stopping somewhere, and I looked at my phone. And you know how when you look at your phone and you see something, you're like, "No, that can't be right." Um, mm -hmm. I have to. You have to kind of shake your head, close your eyes, and <laughs> and, and check again to believe totally. if it's true or whatnot. And so I did that, and I saw that the score was nine to seven. I said, "Wait a minute, the Oakland A's. You got to be kidding me. They really came back." and they stayed alive, they stayed off elimination. Wow. Um, you know, they could have easily been going home today. Um, but because they are a resilient team and because they do have power in their lineup, they were able to fight off elimination, and now they will play tomorrow again, and hopefully they can tie the series. I mean, you know, you have guys that can hit. You have Mark Canha, um, if I pronounced his name correctly. Correct. I always butcher his name, too. Then you have Matt Olson. You have Marcus Simeon. Uh, they all notched uh, solo home runs to extend the A's uh, lead to 4-2. Uh, to two. Um, That gave, you know, their starter, uh, Jesus uh, Lazardo, a little bit of a cushion there. Uh, you know, he had good run support with those guys. And I think that's a confidence builder as well. Um, you know, the Oakland A's are just an amazing team. And they're going to do whatever it takes, I think, to keep their playoff hopes alive. Um, it'll be interesting to see how it plays out tomorrow. But you know what? Oakland, man, they live for moments like this. Um, they play well with their backs against the wall, and you can never sleep on the Oakland A's because they're here uh, looking to do the improbable. By the way, that home on the Matt Olsen hit today, fellas, that may have been the furthest ball I've seen hit at Dodger Stadium in my, in my lifetime. Stanton hit one, though, with Miami that went, I think, just as deep, if not deeper, in left field. But Olsen hit one to the third to last row of the right field seats at Dodger Stadium, and I think it bounced over into the concession stand area. But again, the A's stave off elimination as they win 9-7 to force a, another game tomorrow on Thursday back at the Ravine. Uh, Isaiah, what do you got for us, man? 
The A's need to listen to me right now and build Chad Pinder a statue at the Coliseum. I don't care if the guy doesn't do anything for the rest of the career, for his career. This guy took you. You were the walking dead. You were on the mat about to die, and he lifts you right off the mat with one swing of the bat. I mean – when I when I saw that I was jumping for joy. I was I left my house, ran like ran right down my neighborhood, screaming. My neighbors I think called the cops on me. That's the thing. That's how like loud it was. Like I was because I was so happy because I was just so disgusted. <laughs> I was just disgusted at how these had been, and they were dead. And they to see that home run, man, all the anger and the depression and the sadness just went out just like that. It was so damn good. Well, you know the night that Anthony Davis hit the buzzer beater three from the corner, right? My neighbors yeah. from two doors down, they called concerned because they thought something was seriously wrong at our house. And they called and they asked if, if everything was okay. And I said, yes, I was just excited because Anthony Davis has j had just given us a serious lead with his buzzer beater three. That's why I was screaming. You know, and it was funny. I lost my voice as well, too. I actually heard a story, fellas, that a bunch of Tampa Bay Lightning fans in the NHL during the Cup uh, Stanley Cup final had, the, had their neighbors call the cops, too, because they were yelling, shoot, at the TV like hockey fans do. So... Uh, oh. There are some other stories out there about people Bye. having the cops called on them. What do you got for us, Isaiah? I got a game break. Uh, the Padres have gotten in one more run. It's now six to five, and they Joe Kelly walked uh, the leadoff, uh, the first guy he faced. So the Padres have runners at first and second with two outs. Uh, Manny Machado's got a two and two count on him. In Ridiculous! The ninth. Ridiculous! You, you know what? You might as well just hire a bunch of little leaguers to pitch the ninth inning since you can't get any quality innings from these professionals bunch of bums man i kid you not this game should have been this is a damn shame i wouldn't even be i wouldn't even show my face tomorrow <laughs> i would be too humiliated to show my face in the public if my elbow this could hold up I, I could probably at least get one batter look, out i don't know though look the dodgers overpaid joe kelly and this is what they're getting they're getting a guy that's throwing freaking balls. Really? Hire me to pitch. I bet you I would have gotten that out by now. <laughs> oh, my goodness. This team gives me a damn headache. God. I'd be profing when the game's over, big fella. I'd be profing when the game's over. They always find a way to piss me off, and they always find a way to screw things up. They always find a way. They're becoming the Braves in October. They're becoming, you know, they're becoming – Oh my God! They're 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 becoming every team that choked. They're becoming the Clippers. To be quite oh, honest, don't say that. No, do not say. They're choking. No, do not on say that. Dogs. They're they're choking on Dodger dogs every oh, freaking my goodness. year. Every freaking year it happens. Last year was the Washington Nationals. Is it going to be the Padres this year with this crappy, this crappy? Garbage bullpen? It might just be like that. I don't know what the hell to expect from the Dodgers. Because year after year after year, year after year after year, they do this to us. Our fans have been tortured 
And I know someone else is going to come and say, well, you know, um, the Cubs were tortured for 180 years. Well, the Pittsburgh Pirates, they don't ever win a World Series. I get to the playoffs. I don't care. This team got to the playoffs eight straight years, winning NL West divisions for eight straight years, and they still have not cashed in to win a freaking World Series. And part of the reason is because Clayton Penning, and then you have crap like this happening in the game where they can't get the freaking final out. Yes. That might be the single greatest rant ever on this program's history. And it is courtesy of Pastor Mathis. Unbelievable, my friend. And uh, we thank you for bearing with us, John, over the course of this roller coaster of emotion that you and I are both sadly stuck on for at least one more day, unless the Padres um, can get something going here as this ninth inning still apparently is rolling on. Uh, but, John, we'll uh, get to one more series here before, in fact, move on to uh, other topics tonight, folks. And we've had a lot of baseball, of course, over the past several days, as we have uh, already, folks, talked about. But every single divisional series uh, series is being played uh, for at least five straight days. It could be three three days straight, four days, or even five straight days. So we've had a lot of baseball to unpack over the past several days. But, um, Isaiah, we'll start with you, actually. To let, we'll let John hopefully finish out this Padre-Dodger game before we get back to him. But the Rays and Yankees, though, man, they've also been a very fun series as well. Of course, two of the best teams in the American League East this season. Of course, Tampa Bay playing some phenomenal ball. They uh, also win today 8-4. to four. They now take a 2-1 lead over the New York Yankees in their series as well as, a, as we have already talked about, though, Isaiah. The long ball has been a big-time story. And Isaiah, for a ballpark like Petco Park, who has always been a notorious pitcher's ballpark since it opened up shop in 2004, I believe that there was a stat shown on the FS1 broadcast of the Padre Dodger game on Tuesday that said that this season alone, the top two ballparks in the regular season for homers, Dodger Stadium and Petco Park. Pretty you know, staggering to know that Petco was the second best ballpark for home runs in Isaiah. It's been nothing short of spectacular seeing Tampa Bay and New York duke it out as well in their series here in San Diego. And of course, the ball flying here as well in San Diego. So Isaiah, give us your thoughts on this series and also more than anything else, though. Uh, the Rays now one win away from moving on to the ALCS and uh, knocking off the Yanks. Wow. Um, before I get into that, though, Callan, John, before my internet dropped, I was just going to say that uh, I think ESPN has found the replacement for Stephen A. Smith in the form of Jonathan Mathis. I mean, that rant right there was epic. I think it was the best rant in the history of WST. Uh, it fit the Stephen A. Smith mold perfectly. So, John, so... You should honestly submit that rant to ESPN. I think you would definitely land yourself they, a job. They still can't get the freaking out. They still can't get the freaking out. Joe Kelly's on the mound. Joe Kelly is good at throwing at people, but he can't get the freaking out. Isaiah, we you might want to stay away from the, from the top. You didn't want to win a World Series. Sometimes I, they play, but they don't want to win. <laughs> you know, I don't want to win the World Series. I want to win the World Series, but apparently they don't want to win the World Series because they don't take it seriously enough. And when you have a crappy bullpen that is not reliable, you won't win the ball game. They just God, won the ball they, game as Hosmer rounded out to end the you game. Got the win. But it shouldn't have went this long. 
It shouldn't have took this long, taking this long. Christy, I agree. John, oh I agree, God. though. John would put Stephen A. Smith to shame. I agree. Shame. 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 I definitely agree 100%. Isaiah, we'll go back to you, though, buddy, about the Yankees and Rays, though, bud. What do you got for us about this? Uh, another great series is mentioned in regards uh, uh, to uh, how things have been so far uh, in this series with uh, the long ball being played by both ball clubs, uh, even here in San Diego at Petco Park. Yeah, the, this game was all about Charlie Morton. Charlie Morton showed that why he is a fantastic pitcher. This guy, even though the Yankees, you know, they busted him around a bit with the Stanton homers and uh, the other homers, this guy still managed to weather the storm. Uh, Charlie Morton in this game, I believe, uh, I think he pitched, what, six innings? Yeah. Yeah, he no. He went five innings, uh, four hits given up, one earned run, six strikeouts, only two walks. Fantastic performance, especially against that loaded Yankees offense. And then the Rays bullpen. You know, uh, Curtis. He was really good after um, Charlie Morton departed. He pitched a one and two thirds of an inning. Uh, didn't give up a run, struck out a batter, and that's really good for him since he has a 19.29 ERA. And then you talk about Diego Castillo, the closer for the Tampa Bay Rays, just absolutely shutting down the door when the Yankees had a little bit of a hope to come back after Stan hit that two-run homer to make it 8-4. to four. But the, this Tampa Bay team, man, they're really good. Like, they've got the hitting, they've got the pitching, they've got the bullpen. They are a complete team. And I think that this, if there's any team out there that could go toe to toe and match wits with the Los Angeles Dodgers, I think it's the Tampa Bay Rays because they've got the rotation, they've got uh, the lineup, they've got the bullpen, and they've got a great manager in Kevin Cash. So, if it, like, I think this uh, Rays team, I think uh, they are headed for a, a long ride in this postseason. Yeah, no, I definitely agree. And, you know, fellas, this is probably, you know, and, and I know, guys, that a lot of people have said, though, that the winner of the Padres-Dodgers series is probably going to win the National League pennant. I would agree about the Yankees and Rays series. I know, of course, that Houston has a chance and Oakland has a very, you know, uh, off-the-wall chance. But I think, though, that really, fellas, it may, in fact, boil down in my mind to the Dodgers, now up two games tonight on San Diego. Again, they win that game tonight, 6-5 to five over San Diego. But as uh, we have already, folks, heard from John Mathis, though, we'll try to stay away from that from that game because John uh, is probably on his very last limb talking about his hometown Dodgers. But again, uh, uh, Kenley Jansen roughed up in the ninth inning. Joe Kelly's able to wiggle out of trouble despite loading the bases with two outs in the Padre ninth to win the game, though, 6-5 to five still. But I think, though, Isaiah and John, that I would have definitely, and you guys probably would agree, though, uh, fellas, let's actually do this real quick. Thumbs up, thumbs down. Winner of the Rays-Yankee series will win the American League pennant. Well, we have two of two of them, so I guess it's going to be all in favor, but Isaiah is not with us. see Isaiah's face, so we don't yeah. know if it's thumbs up or thumbs down. I would think that he's probably going thumbs up. Uh, real quick, John, one more, uh, uh, one more uh, positive thought for you from Christy Wilson. Um I'll bet that John would argue Max Kellerman right under the table. I think that that, that would be very feasible. That's definitely uh, for sure. But again, folks, the Rays and Yankees going on, and Tampa Bay wins the ball game by a final score of 8-4 to four to now go up two games to one over the juggernaut New York Yankees. Uh, with that, fellas, some very interesting news as we get ready to begin uh, week number five of the NFL season 
uh, John and Isaiah. And with that, guys, this report that came out earlier today from ESPN.com on this Wednesday, uh, per NFL sources, uh, apparently, fellas, uh, Houston Texans star defensive player J.J. Watt had a very heated discussion earlier this season with now former Texans head coach and general manager Bill O'Brien. I'm waiting for my uh, computer next to me to uh, reload up so I can read the article. But it is a very, perhaps, damning revelation, fellas, about how, in fact, this uh, has really, I think, snowballed out of control for the Texans organization. Again, battling now an 0-4 start, firing their head coach on top of a lot of things. Uh, John, I'll start with you on this one, buddy, before we, in fact, get to the story here from ESPN.com. But, John, you know, when you hear stuff like this, though, man, get it out in the media, and you hear about maybe player and uh, players having confrontations in the locker room or after a game or during a game or at practice – or player coaches having issues, what normally kind of comes to mind in your mind first when you think of a story that breaks like this across the wire? Well, it's that this happens in every single locker room or clubhouse. You just don't hear about it. I mean, you know, they say not to uh, air out your laundry, you know, your dirty laundry. Uh, keep it behind closed doors. And that's something that the Texans obviously couldn't do. Um, this story somehow got out there, and now everyone knows what was really going on uh, within the organization, and it, it wasn't good. Um, obviously, there was some, you know, words exchanged uh, between Bill O'Brien and um, J.J. Watt, and, of course, did this lead to his departure? Possibly, because J.J. Watt is the face of that franchise. So if something occurs between these two, who do you think the team is going to choose? The longtime veteran defensive player or the coach? And because he didn't have much success in the playoffs, although he was able to get them to the playoffs, I would have to pick J.J. Watt over Bill O'Brien. Bill O'Brien, as we know, had a pretty nice track record. Um, you know, he, like I said, he gotten the team to the playoffs, just couldn't get the team over the hump. Um, but um, this had, had gotten ugly, and what it called for was change. And now the Texans have decided that they – would move on without Bill O'Brien. And I would think that's probably best for the franchise to move forward uh, without Bill O'Brien because Bill O'Brien was obviously the problem, not the solution. And the organization took heed to that. They took action. They moved on. And now Bill O'Brien is out of a job because he obviously clashed with not only people in the front office and personnel, but he also clashed with players. And, you know, there was a lot of history there. Keep in mind, he traded DeAndre Hopkins too. There was obviously an issue there with him and his receiver, which led to uh, that trade, which was shocking to a lot of people. Um, but again, what it illustrates is that Bill O'Brien was a cancer, even though he, his job was to hold the team together. 
and he couldn't do that. And so the Texans decided that it was time uh, to dismiss him. Now, folks, here is the lowdown of the story here, uh, again, produced by ESPN.com, written earlier on Tuesday. Uh, but again, folks, per sources, J.J. Watt had himself a very hit exchange with now former head coach and GM Bill O'Brien. And the report reads here, folks, Bill O'Brien got into a heated exchange with Texan star J.J. Watt during a recent practice. ESPN has confirmed the incident, which also included the Texans defensive coordinator, Anthony Weaver took place in the week leading up to the winless Texans week three loss to Pittsburgh per both ESPN and also per multiple reports gathered. Uh, sources confirmed to ESPN that a verbal blow up at practice occurred two weeks ago with one source telling ESPN's Diana Russini that the incident was when O'Brien had lost the team, a close quote. But Texans had, have now fallen to 0-4 uh, with their loss this past Sunday to Minnesota and O'Brien was fired one day later as the team head coach and team general manager. Watt, a three-time defensive player of the year on Wednesday, said he is looking forward to a fresh start after O'Brien was fired as uh, coach and GM uh, following the Texans' loss to Minnesota on Sunday. Watt did say a little bit, though, about this uh, exchange here, folks. Quote, I'm not going to talk about what happened at practice or what conversations were, were had or what uh, whatever it may have been. The situation, uh, the situation is what the situation is, and we right now have a fresh start, and we had a good practice today, and we're looking forward to Jacksonville. He added, when you're 0-4, obviously things need to change. I mean, it wasn't working. I appreciate and respect what, he, uh, what we had. We won four division titles in six years with Bill, and I appreciate uh, that and that time. But obviously this year we're 0-4, and, and that stuff is not uh, and stuff was not working. When you have the, the talent that we have specifically at the quarterback position in this league, we can't be... Four and O. Oh. They did, in fact, name longtime coordinator and former uh, Browns head coach Romeo Cornell as the interim head coach. And again, um, Isaiah, what do you think? What do you make about this? Because because I know, man, that John said it right though. That times though in team sports, I think though at the job site, uh, you know, at the office, you're bound though, Isaiah, to have issues like this come up though, where maybe after a few weeks you don't see eye to eye with maybe your boss on a project you're working on or with other. People in your, you know, a part of your group for a project you're working on or stuff like that. And then in sports, though, man, there's times, though, where you're probably going through, those, you know, the ups and downs, the peaks and valleys of the season where you're probably not playing well. You're not doing great stuff like that. But Isaiah, give us your thoughts, though, about J.J. Watt and uh, his and uh, his uh, uh, public uh, admission to there being a bit of a rift and also as well the blow up between him and coach and uh, GM Bill O'Brien before they lost to Pittsburgh a couple weeks ago. What do you got for us? So it appears, Isaiah, can you hear us, buddy? Yeah, I can hear you guys. Sorry, I was muted. But um, I was just uh, going to say, you know, I, it doesn't surprise me one bit. I mean, I went on a rant yesterday about how uh, Bill O'Brien, I don't think he was fired because of football reasons. I think he was fired. Oh, I don't think he was fired mainly because of football reasons. I think he was fired because of uh, his personality issues and inability to uh, work with other people. Um, it just cements that even more. You know, you are hearing stories now where he clashed with his own president that he brought in 
from his time with the New England Patriots, Jack Easterby, to be the Texans uh, president. He clashed with him. Uh, he clashed with other GMs that they've had. He clashed with players like DeAndre Hopkins. Um, he clashed with, I believe, uh, Dwayne Brown before he got traded to Seattle. Um, he clashed now with J.J. Watt, your star defensive uh, lineman. This guy just can't get along with anybody. And if you can't get along with anybody in a sports business, you're not going to last because you have to be able to work with people when it comes to uh, sports. Heck, you have to work, be able to work with people in any other business or any job that you work for. Working in a team is vital to that company's success. So if you can't work in a team, then then you're definitely not going to be able to keep a job for a very long time. So I just think that um, – Bill O'Brien, like I said yesterday, I think he is more of a fit for college because in college, you know, you can be like the, the king or the dictator and just have it your way or the highway. But you can't do that in the NFL because players are paid more than you and they're not going to listen to you if, if it's your way or the highway. Definitely agreed on that one. You know, sometimes that, you know, coaches are all about them, but at the same time, though, as well, that, you know, some players that have been around a long time would probably look at a coach and say, who are you? I've been here my entire career, and I've, I've already made all my money and stuff like that. Uh, real quick, guys, a uh, quick comment from the Keaton Slovis fan page saying, great show, gents. Well, uh, thanks to the Slovis fan page for the appreciation. Uh, Christy agrees the Texans are a mess. I would say that they are a hot mess or a dumpster fire for sure. James Gonzalez agrees J.J. Watt should be asked uh, to be traded and maybe to join his brothers in Pittsburgh. And also, real quick, Christy says, sounds like O'Brien got a little too drunk with power from the front office. Uh, very valid point for sure. Isaiah wants to make a, a quick clarification or add on to his point. What he got for us, man? Yeah, um, I... I know the Keaton Slovis fan page is going to be upset at what I'm about to say. And that is, you know, I wouldn't mind Bill O'Brien going to USC. I really wouldn't because I think Bill O'Brien is a very good coach. I think he would be a major upgrade over Clay Helton. And if, you know, USC somehow, some way does really bad this season and fires uh, Clay Helton, I think Bill O'Brien would be the first call I would make if I'm the USC president because he's better than all the other choices that you have right now, whether it's a Jack Del Rio or a Jeff Fisher. So I wouldn't mind Bill O'Brien at USC. I, in fact, hope he goes to USC. We'll see what pans out again as Bill O'Brien looks for work after, again, being fired earlier this week by the Texans, uh, but more so with more, being, uh, more light being shed, though, on maybe his departure due to, again, a uh, very heated uh, conversation with star defensive player J.J. Watt before they lost to Pittsburgh in week number three. John, with that in mind, though, buddy, still, though, uh, sadly, man, more COVID concerns, though, continue to plague the NFL as we, in fact, are on the eve right now on this Wednesday of week five of the season with Tampa Bay and Chicago kicking off week five from Soldier Field on Thursday. But, John, though, still, though, some very concerning news, though, concerning the COVID-19 issues surrounding the NFL right now, as we also have heard, though, a potential outbreak once more still with the Patriots, Stephon Gilmore, apparently testing positive uh, due to, again, a, a potential uh, close encounter after the game with uh, Patrick Mahomes. Uh, he has, in fact, tested positive per ESPN sources as of earlier on Wednesday morning. And, John, even tonight on the CBS Evening News, even Nora O'Donnell had a brief story about the NFL, that the NFL chief medical doctor is even considering telling Commissioner Goodell to stop the season, to at least let this blow over, hopefully. But, John, what? but honestly, though, John, 
What more could the NFL honestly do, though, in your mind, to at least help combat the COVID issues? We've already have seen them move a couple of games, either giving teams a bye week or moving the games to a Monday or a Tuesday. But, John, with more news, though, with mainly, with, mainly though, with the Patriots, again, Cam Newton already out, now Stephon Gilmore perhaps coming in uh, with a post-game hug for Pat Mahomes. This man could be very ugly in a very short amount of time, John. John, uh, right now in your mind, buddy, where is your concern level for the NFL as, in fact, week five does, in fact, begin on Thursday with the entire COVID concerns surrounding, right now at this time, at least four different ball clubs in the NFL? It's very concerning. It has raised the level of concern, um, to be quite honest. Uh, let's be real. This is going to happen. This is the time that we are living in. Um, we live in a time where there is a pandemic in our country. Let's be reminded of that. There is a pandemic right now in our country. So there are going to be players who test positive for COVID-19, unless you're in the Disney World bubble, where there has been zero COVID-19 tests, positive tests. Um, it's concerning, but baseball had the same problem and they were able to navigate their way through the whole situation. Um, I think what the NFL needs to focus on is putting the proper and safety protocols in place to try to, you know, uh, flatten the curve within the NFL circle. I think that's the only way you're going to be able to, you know, um, try to get a hold on these outbreaks before it gets a lot worse. Um, the NFL should have known this was a matter of time. Um, you know, it was going to happen. There was no other way around it. There's really no way to escape it because the COVID-19 is still out there. Just because we have sports back to create a distraction doesn't mean COVID-19 just magically disappears and okay, we're okay, we're, we're, we're fine. We don't have to worry about our health anymore. No, that's not the case. You still have to be smart. You still have to use sound judgment. And a lot of these players are not gonna follow the rules that's in place. They're just not. They're gonna try every way they can to break those rules because let's face it, a lot of these players don't want to follow the rules. They're young. They still want to have fun. They still want to hang out with their friends, do all the, do all the, you know, fun stuff away from football. But the NFL is going to have to find a way to regulate this because they don't want this to get out of control. If it snowballs out of control, then you can see the season pause for a bit and maybe return in the coming days or whenever that may be. But I think like baseball, and I'm going to be optimistic here. I think the NFL, yeah. will just, I think the NFL will be just fine. I think, I think they'll find a way and figure out how to navigate through this pandemic so that the season won't have to take a hiatus the way basketball and baseball did. And even as well as well, fellas, the uh, NHL also having no positive cases with their 
dual bubbles, one in Edmonton and one in uh, Toronto for their postseason. Uh, no positive test by the NHL over a seven or six or seven week span. Uh, quick uh, comments, guys, from Christy Wilson. Uh, she agrees with John, still think that the NFL will overcome this. And James, though, is on the other side of the fence. I'm ready for a postponement of the NFL. Might be the safest route unless you have a playoff bubble later on in that season, which I would think that would probably have to be much like baseball, warm weather cities in December, January, part of February, perhaps. Who knows? And, of course, the Super Bowl being held, I believe, down in Miami once more this year. I might be wrong on that one. But, Isaiah, what do you make about this, though, man, more so as we have talked about mainly um, – Isaiah, with it being mainly one organization right now has been really, you know, killed by this COVID pandemic or by the COVID illness right now uh, has been New England recently. Of course, Cam Newton and now Stefan Gilmore also now coming to light with it. But as well, we've had uh, some news about the Titans maybe being uh, punished by the NFL for maybe some um, uh, some uh, unsanctioned workouts done by the players uh, that did not meet protocols by the league. Uh, but Isaiah, overall thoughts right now, man, as we, in, in fact, though, begin week five on Thursday, where do you stand right now on how, in fact, the NFL has navigated the course for the ongoing pandemic at this time? Looks as if we lost Isaiah's connection for right now. But I think, though, that... I'm, I'm, oh. I'm sorry, Isaiah, guys. I, I don't know... I don't know why, but I just keep like after I'm done talking, I just mute myself and then I just forget to unmute. But uh, silly me. But um, I think the NFL has done a piss poor job of handling um, this COVID-19 pandemic. And I'll tell you why. The reason being is that I think they should have done what baseball did. And that is go to everybody, every division playing the regional opponent. I think that would have been much safer and much better for the NFL instead of having every team travel across the country and back and forth, back and forth. Therefore, you would have uh, you would maximize your uh, players' ability to get the virus. I think they should have definitely been able – I think the NFL definitely should have – uh, work out like a schedule, like maybe an eight or 10 game schedule where they just have uh, the teams, like let's say the NFC West, the NFC West would play the NFC West and they would also play the AFC West. The AFC uh, South would play the AFC South and the NFC South and the NFC East would play the NFC East and the AFC East. You guys get the point. I think the NFL should have definitely gone to that model so that they could minimize the travel because right now you're just seeing all these cases from everybody having to travel so uh, many miles. And I think you're going to continue to see it. So I think the NFL has done a piss poor job handling this uh, COVID-19 pandemic. Fellas, we'll go into the uh, try the uh, TriCaster view here. Uh, John, we'll go to you. Yay or, or uh, John, just give us your thoughts very briefly. Which league so far in your mind has done a worse job playing through the pandemic, Major League Baseball or the NFL? You know what? That's a tough one. I'm going to say with all these NFL outbreaks that NFL is the worst right now because baseball did keep it within the divisions and kept all the West Coast teams on the West Coast, kept the Central teams in the Central, and kept the East Coast teams on the East Coast. So I would have to say it's football because they stuck to the regular schedule that they already had, you know, and they didn't find a way to change it. 
Roger Goodell completely mishandled the whole entire situation. And it's not the first time he's mishandled uh, situations. But when you have a pandemic, you got to be a little bit smarter. And Roger Goodell hasn't been. And I think it's something, even though it's something you have to try to figure out on the fly, you you have to really, really, um, you know, take precaution and know what's going on and kind of, you know, um, follow someone else's lead, like the NBA or Major League Baseball. Um, it's a copycat lead for most of these leagues and, and teams. And Roger Goodell simply didn't do that. He thought that he can do it his own way. And look, it has backfired. Isaiah, what do you think? Which league has uh, done the worst job managing playing through the pandemic, MLB or the NFL? I'm going to go with the NFL as well because, and I know like we've been giving baseball a lot of heat, but after a few of those hiccups in the opening week with the Marlins and Cardinals outbreak, and then Commissioner Manford implements more stricter off-field rules, you didn't really see any more outbreaks, thank goodness. But the NFL, I mean, they've done a piss poor job. Uh, they've, you know, stuck with the original schedule. Uh, I think they should have gone with like what me and John have been saying, the regional schedule. I think that would have been way better for the players. West Coast, stay at West Coast, East Coast, stay at East Coast, um, and et cetera. And also, I just think that the NFL, what are you guys doing allowing fans in the stands? You're not only getting your players um, exposed to this virus, you're getting the fans exposed to this virus. And I like I know Kansas City only had like 20,000, but if one person out of those 20,000 test positive – all the 20,000 are exposed to that virus. And also, what I heard today was Miami. The Miami Dolphins, they've just got full clearance from the NFL and the Miami government to to, to allow 65,000 fans full capacity this Sunday, for or not this Sunday, for the rest of their season. It's completely ridiculous. I think the entire Miami, uh, the government, the um, the mayor, the governor, everybody there, the Dolphins organization should be completely ashamed of themselves because I guarantee you with those 65,000 people in the stands for every Dolphins game, Miami is going to be the next hotspot for COVID-19. You, I can just guarantee you that right now. However, I do think though, John. Well, they're just like all the fans that were at the Georgia college football game. However, I do think, though, guys, that SI kept that report up, but I believe that the Dolphins have actually stepped in and said that they're not going to allow everyone in at this time, though. They've gotten the green light to go in and do the 65000 I believe they're going to be keeping it at 25% for now, though, but they have gotten that clearance. But I believe that but someone did, in fact, clarify that they will not go right away to 65000 for their next home game. So the Dolphins looking a lot more professional and much uh, better, in my mind, uh, with this whole uh, thing going on but james agrees though to be fair though they never draw sixty thousand anyway so why bother in the first place as well but definitely valid point though for sure given with that though uh john will go to john we'll go back to you buddy as we in fact move into week five john give us maybe the one game that you are watching very closely on your schedule for week five of the upcoming week for the nfl you know what that's a tough one to be honest with you um i think for me it's going to be the Tampa Bay Bucks and the Chicago Bears because, look, I would like to see that quarterback duel again, like the rematch of that Super Bowl, Nick Foles and Tom Brady going at it. 
I think that's gonna be that's gonna make for must see TV. That's gonna that that has the makings of being an epic quarterback duel between those two. And the Bears, man, they have been impressive this season. I said from the get go that Nick Foles should have been the starting quarterback, and look, it turns out that he's getting the start now. Um, you know, yes! this is gonna be yes, a- yes, yes. <laughs> it's gonna be a fun matchup. So I think that's one game you could say I'm looking forward to. All right, so Isaiah John's going to roll with the Thursday night matchup between Tom Brady and the Bucks against Nick Foles, Callum McClurg, and the Chicago Bears on Thursday night football on Fox at 520 Pacific time from Soldier Field. Uh, Isaiah, how about you? What's the one game you're probably watching closely come Sunday or even Thursday or on Monday uh, this week for week five of the NFL football season? You guys ready for a shocker? Dolphins Niners? Nope, it's not the Niners. The game that I'm looking forward to this weekend is is Broncos and Patriots in Fox. <laughs> and the Here reason we go is, again. No, it's it's not because you know I'm I'm saying the Broncos are gonna win the AFC West. It's because I love defense. I'm fans out I'm probably one of the few NFL fans out there that actually like defense and you've got two of the best defensive tacticians in the NFL Bill Belichick versus Vic Fangio going at it I can't wait for this game uh for the people that love offense I really recommend you guys not to tune in for this game because I think that this game with how uh like how crippled the Patriots are right now and how great these two defenses are, I think you could end up seeing a 9-6 to six final score. It'll be as good as the 8-7 Eagles-Niners game at halftime. I'm with John, though, even though that the Bears are probably going to get crushed like a Bud Light can on, on Thursday night. I mean, for one, it's my first time seeing my Bears play on national television all year in San Diego. And secondly, we'll see how they bounce back. I don't know if it's the right team to bounce back against. Of course, you got Tom Brady and all of his weapons on offense. And I, like I said, though, guys, earlier uh, earlier on Wednesday morning when I was giving my pickums for week five is that I feel like, though, guys, that Tom Brady is going to be having that Chicago defense on the field for a majority of this ballgame. If, in fact, the Bears have the same offensive game plan as they did on Sunday versus Indianapolis and Tom Brady will annihilate Swiss cheese and just take this Bears defense to school on Thursday. And I don't like how that's in, and I really don't have a good feeling about this game, but I'm, though. With John, though, I want to see how, though, in fact, Nick Foles can play once more against um, Tom there's Brady no once again. There's no school on Thursday night. School is out by then. It's nighttime. Not when you got Professor Brady teaching at th- uh, at five twenty on Thursday night. Oh, if you're, you have night school. night school, then okay. I, I, yes, night school's in session. Yeah, that, that's, I, I, that's a fair assessment. Fair assessment. I, I was breaking up my Carl Weathers. Time to go to school, baby. You know, when he was trash talking the Russian in Rocky Four. Oh, uh, yeah. Christy's going to roll with her with her Cowboys because Dallas needs to bounce back from the humiliation they suffered at the hands of the Browns last Sunday. And also, James says, Buffalo and Tennessee is the only game to watch this week. I picked Tennessee to win this game over Buffalo because I think it's going to be a running back duel that goes in favor of Derrick Henry this week over Singletary. For Buffalo, but Isaiah wants to add on to one more well, point. In other, words, in other words, it's a trap game. Big time. I, I imagine, think so. I, imagine Stephen A. Smith's reaction 
on first take if Daniel Jones goes into Dallas and annihilates the New York, uh, the Dallas Cowboy defense and throws for like over 400 yards and four touchdowns and whatever and beats the Dallas Cowboys, then we might be talking, is Mike McCarthy on the hot seat? Stephen no, Amos. that's ridiculous. Cowboy fans are going to throw a fit, though. But Mike McCarthy just got there, and he's got thrown in the fire. Like, he's he's the innocent guy in the middle of all of Jerry Jones's messes. Mike Nolan might be on. Mike Mike Nolan might be gone if that happens. I'm telling you guys. That yeah, right Mike now. Nolan will be gone. But you know what? You you know what? Mike McCarthy. I feel sorry for him because Same. he basically just walked into a dumpster fire. He I mean, knew what you, he you, into. Oh yeah, yeah, and you're and you literally are walking into a, you know, dumpster fire because you have your quarterback and the owner, GM, president micromanager, second, second, you know, like associate head coach and Jerry Jones bickering and bantering about a contract that I think is now becoming a huge, huge distraction from this Cowboys team. And real quick, fellas, uh, Chrissy says, I don't want to imagine his reaction because I hate the guy so much. And also Mike Nolan is on the hot seat in Christie's opinion. If they lose again, they he definitely is going to have to be on the hot seat in my mind I as well. I understand how he even got that job. It's amazing how some offensive coordinators and defensive coordinators and even coaches can get the best jobs in the country that they have not really worked for. And Christy agree, agrees, fellas. Jerry Jones is nothing but a control freak. Absolutely. He wants all the power in the world. And instead of giving up that power to make his team better, he, you know, unfortunately lets the fans suffer. And that's it, not fair at all. That's not right. It was it was a buddy buddy thing. That's how Mike Nolan got the job. Him and Mike McCarthy are very close friends. In fact, Mike Nolan was the head coach when McCarthy was the offensive coordinator. So they reportedly made like a secret buddy-buddy deal to have if McCarthy ever became a head coach, Nolan would be his defensive coordinator. Right. It's, so it's, it's all favoritism, and that right there becomes a conflict of interest. When you start bringing your buddies in. As Isaiah said about the Lakers many, many weeks ago too. Right, and you start mixing business with pleasure. It doesn't work out. Ask ask yep. a Laker fan here, and he'll tell you the same thing. All three thing. of us can vouch for that. Exactly. Jeannie Buss was doing the same thing, keeping it within the family. You know, um, it was all about family ties and all of this stuff. And, and where did that get the Lakers? Where did that get them? It, it didn't really get them anywhere, and that's the same thing we're seeing with the Dallas Cowboys. I'm going to say this again, guys. Until Jerry Jones sells the team, this team is not going to be worth a dime until Jerry Jones either comes to the realization that he needs to hire a general manager or else sell the team and new ownership takes over and maybe the Cowboys will finally see the light. Who knows that they will, but with that, folks, those are some of, those are some of our choices for the upcoming week of NFL football. With that, guys, we'll now move to our final topics for the night. And uh, Over in the NBA, the Los Angeles Lakers. One more to go after beating the Miami Heat in game number four of their 2020 NBA Finals matchup. The Lakers win game four after another stellar performance from both LeBron James 
and Anthony Davis as the Lakers were able to get back off the mat after being punched in the face by Jimmy Butler and by Tyler Hero in this game in game four. The Lakers now uh, up now three games to one are now a whopping, I believe now 56 or 57 or no when leading after three quarters of play. Uh, John, we'll start with you, buddy, on this one. You know, we have said, John, so many times, all three of us being Laker fans, we have said, though, man, so many times this postseason, since we've been on w, uh, on WST, man, that the Lakers always find a way to bounce back beautifully after they've been punched in the face and knocked down after a loss. They have, And they did that, of course, in the first three rounds, and now it's happened again right here and right now after losing game three. They come back and punch right back and now have a 3-1 lead. And again, one more win until they win their 17th title and their first one in 10 years. John, in your mind, what changed from game three for the Lakers to game four in Forbes, uh, in Forbes W uh, earlier on over the course of the week? What changed in that game that we saw last night? Yes. Anthony Davis. Anthony Davis. He was, you know, dominating the glass. He was more aggressive uh, from the start. I thought he was more involved on, on the offensive end of the floor. Uh, he managed to stay out of foul trouble, which was very important. So that allowed him to stay on the floor and be that, that, um, that lethal scorer that he was. And you know, it, it, was, it was a tough night for him because he was getting roughed up. He was getting hit in the face. He was getting knocked to the floor. He was sent crash into the hardwood floor you know uh he he really took a beating last night but i gotta give a lot of credit and love to him for how hard he has played and i think um if the series ends on friday i think he will be the finals mvp because he's been sensational and he's been that difference maker for the lakers in not only the finals but in the Western Conference Finals against the Nuggets, in the series against Portland in the first round, and even against Houston. And Anthony Davis, if he plays poorly in the game before, he usually bounces back with a monster performance. He did it again. And then LeBron James, of course, the veteran experience that he brings, the charisma that he brings. And... He's good at using his body to penetrate to the basket and finish inside the paint. He's not afraid to draw contact, which is what is amazing about him. He's like a freight train. He's like a locomotive who can power his way to the basket and finish whenever he wants to. And the Miami Heat can't stop him. No nor, answer. Nor do they have an answer for Anthony Davis. So I think on Friday, I think the Lakers made it real clear that they're going to take it on Friday night. And guess what? It was announced today that they will be wearing the Mamba Series jerseys. That right there tells you all, they, all you need to know. The Lakers have played with that Mamba mentality every time they put on those jerseys. It's as if Kobe's spirit enters all of their bodies when they are wearing those jerseys. They are a totally different team. They are savages. They are aggressive. And they are fierce competitors 
when they put on those mumba jerseys. It's as if they have dedicated that night to him every time they wear those jerseys. So I think Friday night, they will, in honor of Kobe Bryant, close this series out, and they will be NBA champions. They'll be NBA champions for a 17th time. You know, Isaiah, John actually hinted at the next topic I wanted to get to, which was about the uh, Lakers' wardrobe uh, change on uh, for Friday's game. But with that, Isaiah, you know, man, you you know or you knew very well, though, Isaiah, that the Lakers were eventually – that if, in fact, they, that they lost one game, they were going to bounce back, make a statement. And, again, this is all about the play of LeBron James and Anthony Davis. But also, though, Isaiah, let's not forget, though, man, that even two of the most, you know – criticized players in the Lakers bubble, Contavious Caldwell-Pope and Danny Green both showed up and showed out in this game to lift the Lakers over Miami. And as I had and as I had kind of in a way intruded on John's time to speak there, uh, much like any other debate we've seen in 2020 with interruptions going on, has been Isaiah that, you know, Miami has has no answer. Portland had no answer. Houston had no answer. Even Denver had a potential answer in Jokic, but at the same time, though, Isaiah, the Lakers, it's a mismatch inside every single possession. I would not be surprised, though, man, if the Lakers keep this Davis, uh, LeBron, and even Dwight Howard starting lineup going. Of course, I know that they have to perhaps work on a new contract for AD, but Isaiah, I could see a James, Howard, and even uh, Davis starting three with two other guards to kind of be their starting forte for the uh, for next season. But Isaiah, uh, in your mind, in your mind, what changed for the Lakers from game three to game four to uh, get off the mat from losing to winning and now on the cusp of that 17 championship trophy? Well, first of all, Cal and John, I just want to thank Adam Silver for handing me the trophy right now and having me control it until, uh, you know, we ship it down to Florida to give it to the Lakers. Look at this bad boy right here. But um, about the change, I think the biggest change was Anthony Davis his performance from in game four. This guy was more aggressive. He didn't get into foul trouble. He was attacking the glass. He was knocking down threes. He was defending the rim. This guy was just all over the place. This is why Anthony Davis is, in my opinion, a top three player in the NBA. The guy had 22 points, uh, nine rebounds, four assists, and the one thing that is not on the box score is his game-saving block on Jimmy Butler when the Miami Heat in the late seconds of that game had actually closed it within six, and they could have got, like they could have closed it even more to within four. But Anthony Davis, right as Jimmy Butler is driving to the hoop, he blocks the heck out of that basketball to secure the Lakers' win, and also the play before that, it was the dagger three-pointer to put the nail into the coffin of. Uh, the Miami Heat, and give the Lakers the game four win, a game in which they needed desperately to win because we could not let Miami take this game and tie the series and make this a series. It is now 3-1, and the Lakers are now two days away from taking home trophy number 17. And ladies and gentlemen, like I've been telling my guy Shri Anad, the Boston Celtics have only two more days 
to celebrate that they are at the top of the NBA in terms of most championships in the league because when Friday night hits, it will be the Celtics and the Lakers atop the NBA pedestal for most championships in NBA history. And also, you know, as a Laker fan, it feels so damn good because, you know, we've been waiting so long to get this. We've been waiting 10 years and also Kobe's unfortunate passing. But this championship is going to feel, I believe, more sweeter than probably the last, not maybe not the Celtics one, but it will definitely feel more sweeter than any of the championships we have won in the 2000s era. I, I would agree. I would definitely think that the Celtics won in 2010 is still my personal favorite Lakers championship of all time in the time I've been watching the Lakers since I was a little boy because uh, we never got Clipper games in San Diego. We always got the Laker games down here on Fox Sports West and KCAL 9 back in the day. So definitely agree with that for sure in regards to the righteousness of victory finally. Uh, guys, Christy agrees though. Jerry Jones will be the uh, will be the uh, Cowboys owner till he dies, pretty much at that rate. And also, uh, Christy also says, "Looks like that prediction of the Lakers in five, 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 and five is about to happen." And also, am I the only one that's kind of upset about the long delay between games here? Like, can we just like wrap it up tomorrow and like call it, you know, kind of in a way? Call it quits already, but again, folks, Lakers win games. Give me an extra day to be lazy as a writer. Nah, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. <laughs> hey, I, I've, been I've been stuck in the mud trying to write this Padre article for the Chronicle and for the uh, MI6 website because I've been waiting to, uh, waiting for this playoff run to come to an end for the Padres over the past oh. several days. <laughs> it's been terrible. It's been it's absolutely terrible. I can tell you as a writer, it's not easy. Oh, it, it, believe me, yeah. writer's block sucks. What do you got for us, Isaiah? Alan, I'm very disappointed in you. Why would you want the one more day? Like, yeah, why would you like not want the one more day so you can see if your Padres can dig out of that 2-0 hole? I mean, as an Ace fan, I'm definitely happy that there is no uh, Laker game tomorrow so I can watch my Ace try to come back and tie that series up against the Astros. But the one thing I also want to add to my point is, you know, it's going to be a really – sweet couple of months for us Laker fans because not only do I believe we're going to clinch the number 17 championship and tie the Celtics tomorrow, but there is a, a lot of rampant reports out there in the last couple of weeks that the Los Angeles Lakers could in fact trade Kyle Kuzma and also a first round pick uh, to Indiana for a disgruntled Victor Oladipo. If they do that, I guarantee you with that big three, the number 18 championship is also coming next year. Isaiah, I'm going to quote uh, one of my favorite Marvel characters, Hawkeye Jeremy Renner, about the Padres. Don't give me any hope. Please don't. They're, we're down to nothing. We got the bullpen throwing tomorrow. Please do not give me any hope for game three. Their best chance was tonight, maybe game one. It's over. It's over. It's over. <laughs> Simple as that. Uh, with that, though, uh, John. You're going to give up like my good friend Michael, who's also in San Diego with you? Uh, like I've said, it is false hope for this year. He, he's already saying that the Dodgers won't get past the Braves or the Rays. So pretty much what he's telling me is that it's over, like you, like you were saying as well. Yeah, because, John, I'm used to this. I We get our hopes up, and it always comes crashing down. So, Well, how do you think Dodger fans get? We get to the postseason, and then we lose in the – John, you've at least won a World Series. We have not done that yet here in San Diego. <laughs> yeah, but I feel – That sometimes is worse. 
then, then hey, Callan, you know, I feel you, man. I'm, a, I'm an A's fan, and I feel your pain. The, our team always lets me like lets me like on this high run, thinking, oh, we're gonna go to the World Series this year. And what do they do in the first round of the playoffs? Break yeah. my heart. Yeah, pretty much. With that, fellas, uh, some very, I think, awesome news here to kind of end the show on a good note here. <clears throat> good note here. My apologies. Excuse me. Uh, with that, though, uh, John and Isaiah, John, we'll start with you. But I think a very uh, great story, kind of a pick. Uh, you know, I know, guys, it's been, it's been tough and, you know, tough this year to find, like, positive things that have happened in your life, maybe, or, you know, positive stories or feel-good stories, you know, in a very tumultuous year for all of us. But, John, uh, reports coming out, though, that uh, Rockets player uh, Russell Westbrook, with a very kind gesture to the uh, hotel staff at the Orlando bubble, uh, Russell left an $8,000 tip for the uh, for the staff, taking care of his room, kind of keeping it up to speed while he was, of course, at practice or playing games or roaming around the theme park. And, you know, John, I know that you have said it best, though, buddy, that we love to build up and then tear down athletes. And I know that we have athletes that we can't stand on other ball clubs. I know for sure with uh, the Dodgers' sake, it's probably Machado and, J and Tatis Jr. and the Padres. But at the same time, though, man, when you see a story like this come out, though, regardless if you like the player or not, I think we need more of these stories to kind of, in a way, come to fruition, come to uh, pass and kind of get out there. Because I know, especially, though, John, in a year like 2020, it's been so difficult for all of us uh, on this program and in a part of us to find any type of positives to really, I think, hang our hat on for the year. Uh, John, uh, give us any thoughts you have to pass along about Russell Westbrook. Again, man, reports coming out. Uh, Russ leaving, uh, leaving a $8,000 tip behind when the Rockets left the bubble for the staff at the uh, Disney World Resort in Orlando. Well, those are some lucky people who's working for Walt Disney for at Walt Disney World. Oh, man, they 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 got a lot of money. Wow. Hey, now, there you go. No, nah, I'm just kidding. But but in all seriousness, um, this is a, a kind gesture by um russell westbrook and you know i knew how great of a person he was um he does amazing things off the court i could tell you a story that i that i'm aware of and that i know about um and that is that he has donated tons of books to the library to a local library in long beach where he's from he even comes back sometimes to that library where he'll read to the children and engage and interact with them. So um, this is not the first time that he's uh, given back to, uh, you know, the community or that he has uh, done something uh, that has a tremendous impact on someone's life. Um, you know, yes, he does trash talk. Yes, he does say a lot of things. But you know what? In reality, He's a great guy off the court. He's a great human being. He's a great person. And a lot of these athletes, you know, we come to love, we come to hate. But at the end of the day, they're humans too, and they're playing a game. And that's all it really is. They're, they're people just like us. They have hearts. They have feelings. Um, they do kind things too, and they help a lot of people as well. And that's the way it should be. I'm not saying that they owe any of us anything because they don't, and it is their money. But with the money that they do have, they can be unselfish and give back to those who are in need. So this is an amazing uh, deed for sure by Russell Westbrook. And 
I am not at all surprised. Isaiah, you know, it's been very rough for anyone to kind of get back on their feet this year. Like I said, man, it's it's hard, I think, for all three of us to, you know, maybe minus, of course, meeting up and starting, you know, the show and coming over to the MI6 Sports Network and kind of getting this thing off the ground, like I said, on Monday. But Isaiah, it's been really difficult, I think, for all of us, you, me, John, anyone else a part of uh, the network or anyone in general to find any type of real positive, feel-good talking points or stories that we hang that we can look back and share and hang our hat on. But Isaiah, when you hear this, though, especially during a time, though, of crisis that has been gripping all of us, you know, out of work, away from work, not seeing coworkers for seven months. And then you hear a story like this. And of course, man, like I said, though, Isaiah, I know that, of course, that we probably want to, you know, that John said it best so that we build up and tear down these athletes. And again, I know I know that we probably, you know, have players that we can't stand or we hate when we when we see them play our ball clubs and stuff. But at the end of the day, but at the end of the day, though, Isaiah, John's right, though, they are people like us. They just happen to do something a little bit better than we do, or we did it in our, in our, at, one, at, a, at one point in our lives. With that, though, Isaiah, overall thoughts on the very uh, heartfelt gesture by Russell Westbrook. Again, an $8,000 tip left behind from the staff at the Walt Disney World uh, Resort uh, down in Florida after he, uh, he did, in fact, leave the bubble back for home in Houston or back out to Los Angeles. Um, I think it's a really kind deed by Russell Westbrook. You know, um, you know like you said, Callan, this has been a very tough year. For everybody to, um, you know, not being able to uh, go get go get a job or not go get a job, but go to work. You know, people have been laid off. Uh, a lot of people, um, you know, just don't have jobs because of this pandemic. And for him to give the uh, the people that are working at the Disney bubble eight thousand dollars in tips is freaking amazing. Um, you know, the people, those staff there has been really dedicated. They've been stuck in that bubble uh for the last two three months you know a lot of people don't talk about this like they talk about how the players it's really stressful for them not being able to see their families just being stuck in that bubble with not really any entertainment or anything uh except to just go play basketball for two or three months how about the staff you know the staff that makes sure the players are fed make sure everything in the bubble is going well those guys, they don't see their families for two to three months. They're here to go to work. And they're after work, they go back to the hotel room and then go to sleep. And then they have to wake up hella early the next morning. So they really, really deserve it. I'm so thankful that Russell Westbrook did this. And I, I really hope that more NBA players will do this as well because that bubble staff really deserves it. They've been really hardworking. Uh, they've been really uh, dedicated. And they deserve every penny. Oh, absolutely. And again, folks, I know that, of course, we love to build up athletes, tear them down, whether they're talking about, you know, issues plaguing their communities or where they play uh, off the court stuff that, have, that we probably don't want to see brought into, into the sports world. But, hey, they're humans like us. And like I said, we should not mute uh, fellow voices from not being heard because of what they're uh, saying or what they're trying to, again, uh, you know, express their feelings about uh, with what is uh, going right and going wrong in the world today. With that, gents, we'll now move over to tonight's final thoughts. One final segment here, folks, on this 25th episode of Wild Sports Talk for this Wednesday, October 7, 2020. Mr. Mathis, we'll start with you, man. Of course, very stressful uh, ending for the Dodgers to hold off the Padres 6-5. to five. Uh, Of course, the Lakers now a game away, as mentioned, of winning their 17th NBA title uh, in regards to, again, playing Friday night uh, down in the bubble. Uh, John, we'll go to you first, buddy. How about your final thoughts for tonight's show? 
John, you're muted, big fella. There we go. Wow, 25 episodes already. Can you believe that? How time? Can't believe it. It seems like we started this yesterday, but um, it's amazing uh, what we have, what we've accomplished in a short time. Um, again, I like to start off by thanking all our viewers tonight. You guys are simply amazing. Thanks for watching. Please come back for more. We promise we won't disappoint. Um, we really appreciate the love and support. This was an awesome show tonight. And again, I want to apologize for my rant. That was me at the moment. I was so emotional. You know, the Dodgers, they had me terrified for a moment. And I I will keep it real. I was petrified, but the Dodgers somehow survived and now they take a commanding 2-0 lead with a chance to eliminate the Padres tomorrow. Send Fernando Tatis Jr. and Manny Machado and the rest of the game back home. Bye-bye. 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 Sorry, Colin. I hate to do it to you, man. I love you. But I, I, I can't do your Padres, my man. I just can't do it. Um, one more thing before we go. Um... I want to say this, please, when you're on the road, be smart. Don't do anything stupid. I, I seen, I almost seen a car accident today on the freeway. It wasn't, it wasn't a car accident, but, uh, but it came close to it. And the guy was tailgating. He was swerving in and out of traffic. Just, please, it's not worth it. It's not worth killing anyone. It's not worth your life. Be smart on the road. And please don't drink and drive. Don't drive under the influence. Drive as safe as possible and keep those around you safe. And John, that is why I do not drive for that exact reason, my friend. Great point. And of course, uh... you know what? I thought about when I come to visit you in San Diego, which will probably be soon. I'm going to catch the Amtrak from the Anaheim. Uh... Great idea. Uh, best, best way to get around California is taking the Amtrak and you get the beautiful view of the beach. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Worth it. 28 bucks, I think, is from Anaheim to San Diego and back and forth. I've done that trip numerous times. And don't worry, John. I, 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 I figured you've done that. When you told me you didn't drive, I, I, I said the first thing that came to my mind is that, well, Colin must take the Amtrak when he comes out this way. Yeah, if, if I'm not with if I'm not with friends, I'll go up. Uh, I've actually worked uh, gone to work actually up in Anaheim a couple times via the Amtrak for when I was working in arena football and when I was working the Big West Conference basketball tournament at Honda Center uh, many years ago. Uh, don't worry, John. It, it'll be all over tomorrow. Don't worry. We can we'll we'll, we'll 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 be able to move on from tomorrow and to celebrate the Lakers winning hopefully on Friday after the uh, Padres and Dodgers hopefully wrap up their series. Uh, and I can't confirm, folks, per the Padres, it'll be Adrian Morihone, the left-hander, uh, pitching for San Diego in Game 3 uh, for the Friars on uh, Thursday night. With that, Isaiah, over to, you, uh, over to you now, man, for your final thoughts for tonight's show. First of all, before I give my final thoughts, I just want to ask you guys, did you guys just see me toss a football, by the way? Because I thought I was like – I thought my camera wasn't on. Can can no. anyone confirm that? I don't. I don't. I don't think I, I. I saw you do something like you were doing something, and I think it was on video. So I'll have to go back and watch the archive footage. But probably. Anyway, All final right. thought, Mr. Leong, what do you got for us? 
Here's my final thoughts, ladies and gentlemen. Woo! 25 episodes, man. What a journey. What a journey it's been, fellas. You know, we started this back in what? July? And, you know, it's been a great ride. We've accumulated so many viewers, so many comments, so much support. Just love the support from the fans every night. It's so amazing. You know, every day I wake up, just like Callan said, every day I wake up, it's like, what am I going to do today? Oh, right. I got a great show tonight. I can't wait. So this is the highlight of my day. I want to thank you, John, and thank you, Callan, for uh, being my co-host on uh, Wild Sports Talk. It's been a great, great time. And let's keep it going, man. Let's keep it going. And, you know, let's uh, let's hopefully the Lakers on Friday can clinch number 17. And, you know, we can push back no BS and we can all go out there on the streets and pop some champagne. But, yeah, it's been great. And let's keep this journey on. Yeah, let's. Let's definitely keep it moving for sure as we, in fact, uh, folks, move on into another day uh, or hopefully another day, hopefully, of programming and also other things going on as <laughs> Isaiah <laughs> Isaiah and John both. We're moving and grooving. Dance party. Studio 54 called. They want their song back, Isaiah. Let's uh, let, let's let's dial it back a bit so we can get out of here and celebrate off the air so people aren't throwing tomatoes at us and hoping the program ends sooner than later. A uh, couple of final thoughts, folks. First and foremost, uh, one of first, folks, uh, speaking of music, but sadly, uh, of course, the uh, very folks sad news yesterday uh, on Tuesday of the very unfortunate passing of legendary guitarist of uh, the group Van Halen, but Eddie Van Halen sadly passing away at the age of, I believe, 65 from a bout with cancer. Of course, folks, you've heard Van Halen, I'm sure, uh, whether it's, you know, jumping, played at the start of a, of a basketball game on the, at the jump ball. Uh, if you go to Staples Center to watch the LA Kings play a game, you hear Dieter Rule, the Dodgers and Kings organist play right now, the introduction to right now before they come on the ice for warmups. Uh, you probably have heard Running with the Devil several times if you go to ASU football games um, and, and things like that. So sadly, uh, rest in peace to the legend himself, Eddie Van Halen. Also, folks, final thoughts, too, as uh, we kind of already had touched base on about getting back to work or at least finding something positive. I can confirm for my women's basketball fans out there that the West Coast Conference on Wednesday announced their plans to get the season started. December 28th is the first day of the 2020-2021 uh, WCC women's college basketball season. The USD Trails open up their year against Santa Clara, playing a, a very compacted 18-game conference-only season schedule, which I believe, though, John and Isaiah – that will be the route that we will see going forward, I believe, for probably all college conferences as, in fact, they get themselves back to work and back, hopefully, to play very, very shortly. Isaiah wants to add on about that uh, comment. What do you got for us, Big Bella? No, I just want to say congratulations, Callan. You know, we all know how hard of a year it's been for you and for everybody else and for you to be able to finally go back to work and go back to doing something that you love and care so much about. It's freaking amazing, man. Yep. So, again, folks. Yeah. Uh, it is. It's very go, go ahead, John. Sorry about that. It's very amazing. And Colin, of all people, you deserve it. Yeah, thank you very yeah. much, fellas. I, I very, uh, greatly appreciate that. Uh, we'll say, fellas, real quick, too, that um, 
I have I've had a countdown on my phone to like countdown to for one of my trip to Disney World next August with uh, one of my good friends to Florida to go visit Disney World, but also a countdown when I came back to work. I changed it from the start date for the target start date of uh, November 25th to my actual first date. If you believe in numbers, 81 days until that season commences. And of course, the Lakers, one win away from the NBA talent. And oh, by the way, Kobe dropped 81 points. So it's going to be some good mojo for everyone. And also, Chardal comes in at the final horn. Really loved Eddie Van Halen and his music. He's the greatest rocker in history and really loved all of his music. Isaiah, what do you got for us, buddy? Yeah, I just want to give a program update. Uh, so No BS is going to be either on this Friday at eight, uh, at 9 p.m. Pacific time or it will be on Saturday night depending on the outcome of the NBA Finals. So again, folks, that program alert for you folks, Friday or Saturday depending on how, in fact, things go with Lakers Heat on friday and also christy wanted to come in and say congrats to the wnba champion seattle storm who swept 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 the las vegas aces right out of the of the bradenton florida uh, wobble and uh, sue bird winning her fourth wnba championship in her illustrious uh wnba career the goat the legend sue bird winning her fourth and also brianna stewart at 26 years old so it's the same age as me already winning her second WNBA title as well, so props to the Storm. And also, I should mention too, guys, by the way, uh, major congrats to the head coach, uh, Gary Kloppenberg. Uh, Gary's two daughters, uh, Sonia and Carlotta, are two really good friends of mine uh, who live here in San Diego. Carlotta actually coaches up at San Jose State University with the women's basketball team, uh, and I've been in touch with them ever since. So props to Coach Gary and his two daughters on the feet and everything else going on. Uh, with that, John, we apologize, but I know you wanted to keep it at an hour, but of course, man, Hey, when the Dodgers are playing and you're ranting, two hours is the max. But, hey, it's all in good fun and all in good faith, buddy. So, hey, we're, we're, we're uh, glad that you stuck it out, man, and uh, hung in there to the final bell. How can you not stick it out? This is sports talk, baby. Come on. Absolutely. With that, folks, for the entire cast and crew here from the MI6 Sports Network, for the uh, tremendous co-host, as always, I would not be where I'm at today with these two guys here in the podcast business. That is Pastor Mathis and Isaiah LeYoung. Yours truly, Cal McClurk, saying goodnight here, folks, from San Diego. We'll see you uh, fine folks back here on Monday as WST continues on to episode 26 on Monday at 7.30 Pacific time, right back here on the MI6 Sports Network. Till then, folks, have a great rest of your night. Take care, stay safe, and stay healthy. So long. Sayonara. Farewell. We're out of here. Good night. John's off the set. Till next time, folks. Bye-bye. Pop